What are cryptocurrencies? What are NFTs? Time to buy Bitcoin. Buy and hold. Time to sell to whales. Decentralized finance, smart contract, white paper. Well, then buy it. Well, then sell it. I don't know. On the 21st of October 2008, a link to a paper authored by the pseudonymous Satoshi Nakamoto titled Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronic cash system, was posted to a mailing list. The rest is history. Bitcoin and blockchain technology ignited a decentralized revolution that is disrupting traditional finance, economics, and the way people perceive money. But Bitcoin didn't have an easy path. It's been, and still is, being fought by a significant portion of the business, media, and political fields. And although Bitcoin was pronounced dead to this day more than 422 times by journalists, it is well and truly alive. Now, more than ever. Why? Because Bitcoin is more than just a technology. It's an idea. One that is held and protected by a visionary community. And the keyword here is community. This is what today's very special episode is all about. A tale of two Bitcoiners. From Paris, this is your host, Moel Said, and you're listening to Underledger. First, I'm absolutely stoked to welcome the one and only Peter McCormack as a guest. Peter is the man behind what Bitcoin did, the most popular Bitcoin podcast out there. Yet, what most people don't know is that Peter actually spent 20 years in marketing and advertising before discovering Bitcoin and leaving everything behind to pursue his vision. A vision that is coming to life further and more every day, and we'll be diving into that in a few minutes. But before that, let me announce my second very special guest. I'm thrilled and humbled to welcome Pascal Gauthier, Ledger's chairman and CEO. Pascal is a business pioneer and a serial investor. He held notable positions at companies such as Criteo, where he was instrumental in the pivot to advertising. But like Peter, Pascal left the Web2 world behind to join the Web3 revolution by investing and becoming part of prominent ventures such as Kaiko, Kamainu, and of course Ledger, where he recently raised more than $400 million to take the company to unicorn status. So let's kick this off. On the Ledger, episode 7, A Tale of Two Bitcoiners. Here we go! Peter, Pascal, welcome to On The Ledger. I'm absolutely thrilled and humbled to have you both on the show. How are you doing, gentlemen? Well, I'm doing great. It's good to see Pascal, my friend there. I always seem to see him at the end of a phone somewhere. Hopefully, we're going to see each other in person at some point soon this year. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. We might. We might, uh, although unclear at this stage, but Peter and Pascal on the show again. So always uh, always good to be with Peter on a, on a podcast. Exciting stuff. Let me try and set the stage for the conversation. So although Bitcoin has a relatively short history, most of our listeners might not have witnessed its early days. So let's start with what we call the not-so-stupid questions. And feel free to go first on this one. Could you tell us the story of your first Bitcoin? Like what was the tipping point and how and when did you buy in? Oh, well, the first Bitcoin I I bought was after a friend introduced me to a website which I'm not sure who your listeners are, so I won't go into too much detail. But uh, it was a website that uh, accepted Bitcoin and allowed allowed you to buy certain things that you couldn't get in Tesco's or Sainsbury's or Audi. Uh, And I was just amazed by this website. Uh, And he told me, you need this thing called Bitcoin, which is a digital currency. And I was like, cool, how do I get this? So I ended up signing up to local Bitcoins, and uh, in those days, when you used to sign up, um, I don't know if it's like that now. I had to take a picture of myself holding a piece of paper. Um, the listeners won't see this because I'm holding my hands up. But you used to have to hold up a piece of paper, take a photo of yourself with your account details written on it so they knew it was you. And that would create that trust. And then you would uh, transfer them the money, and then they would transfer you the Bitcoin. 
these days, I think you would feel a little bit nervous about that kind of risk. Uh, but you you did it back then, and, and that was the first Bitcoin I bought. And what year was that? That would have been back in 2013. Um, yeah, and but I didn't spend too much time looking at Bitcoin really back then. So for me, my real introduction to Bitcoin was probably in 2017. That was when I came back to Bitcoin and actually looked Bitcoin for what it is. Because uh, I didn't understand back then there were 21 million. and I didn't know what mining was. I didn't know anything about Bitcoin. It was just, it could have been FIFA tokens or it could have been Robux. It could have been anything. It was just like, it was a, a conduit to using this website. But 2017 was then my comeback where I came back into Bitcoin and actually spent time learning about it. And yeah, interestingly enough, within two months, I bought myself a ledger. I I talk about it all the time. I still I'm still using that. It's here, but people can't see it. But um, I've got the ledger I bought back in 2017. Here we go. Here it is. Again, it's better for a visual medium, but you guys can see it. I bought this ledger back in 2017 when I first got back looks, into Bitcoin. And it looks shiny. Well, I look after it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about you, Pascal? Uh, look, you know, for me, it was. Um sort of slightly different. I was uh, just out of my previous company, uh, Criteo, in you know, sort of online advertising, retargeting. And I was with Index Ventures as an entrepreneur in residence. And I was looking for, I don't know, my next gig or, you know, where to spend the next uh, 10 years of my life, you know, working on, on a project. And people started talking about Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. And uh, through Index Venture, I met with a guy called Wences Cesares, who was the CEO, who is the CEO of Zappo. And Wences uh, is a guy that, you know, pitched Bitcoin beautifully. And, you know, it was simple. It was clear. And he pitched Bitcoin. And, you know, five minutes after, I was like, okay, you know, this is it. This is, this is going to be huge. And, you know, I need to get involved. And I thought that the best way to get involved it was just to sort of buy the the asset or the coin. Not just uh, actually, it wasn't really for you know an investment thesis at the time. It was just like trying to figure out like how this worked. And so I I started by setting up like you know every wallet that I could find at the time, like you know blockchain.com, Coinbase, and so on and so forth to to try to figure it out. I bought the coins from 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 Zappo and you know and Vences. I had to actually excavate the email uh, recently to prove the origin of the funds. So that was fun. Uh, luckily, I had I had that email uh, with the price and everything. Um, yeah, and so um, so so that's what I did first. And then you know I and I met with someone at the time who told me like you know you don't bother building companies. The only thing that you do is you take your money, you invest in Bitcoin, and you wait. Um, <laughs> which which was a good advice, you know, you know, I, I think I would probably have made more money already uh, if I'd done that. But, you know, for me, again, it was not really about making money, although, you know, money always comes if you do great things, but it was, you know, building companies and building businesses. And so Kaiko was the first one. And then I invested in Ledger, I joined Ledger, and now Kaiko and Ledger are doing well. So hmm. it's, a, it's a happy Bitcoin story. Well, I interrupt and say that so we both have an advertising background then, Pascal, because I uh, worked in advertising. Mine was on the digital side. We were more on the kind of web and email build and social media. But that's funny that we both have that advertising background. Uh, the first Bitcoin I bought, I think, was about $80. $80. No, about £80. Okay. About £80. So back then, I think you used to get you used to get $2 for the pound back then. So uh, about $150, $160. That's fascinating. And speaking of digital advertising, and to your point, Peter, 
you spent maybe 20 years in, in the advertising industry, but you grew yeah. to dislike it and maybe dis distrust the whole Web2, kind of uh, the word of Web2 and the performance-driven marketing. Um, you actually wrote an online resignation letter, right? Uh, I did. I had a Jerry Maguire moment. <laughs> so maybe tell, speak more to that. Like, what? Why did you did you kind of grow to distrust this whole digital advertising uh, thing? You know, it's a couple of things. One was distrust, but one was dis disillusionment as well. Um, I like creativity. I like the traditional world of a creative team, you know, a copywriter and uh, an art worker We're working together to create concepts. And what was happening is increasing amounts of pressure were being put on creative teams because they didn't have uh, uh, as big a budget. Because but where a budget used to be TV, radio, print, it became TV, radio, print, social media, web. But the budget was always the same. And they were having to come up with concepts, which would also then translate into web formats. So I saw the pressure that was being put on some of the creative teams, and that kind of like that gave me some dis disillusionment. I also saw a change in the creative process whereby because everything became measured, everything became about performance. You didn't have the flair, whereas you didn't get so you, so you, so if a team would come up with a concept, you'd be testing colors, position, wording, and it just became so mechanical. I fell out of love with the art of creativity. I kind of felt we were lying at times, having to lie or have to spin, spin a web to tell stories. And I, I'd done 20 years, and I got to that point where I was like, you know what, I think I'm done. Mm -hmm. I think it's time to do something else. A bunch of other stuff was going on in my life. So I kind of wrote a of sorts, put it up on my website, and I think within six months I was out of the industry. Mm -hmm. How did that lead you to what Bitcoin did? Just a very strange series of events that uh, if any of them didn't happen, I wouldn't have been doing this. So, so my mum got sick. I've told this story a few times. My mum got sick. Uh, and I was out of work. And when she got sick, I needed Bitcoin to buy something for her treatment. So that's why I, I ended up on the Coinbase website. And she passed away. And uh, I was sat at her house. And I was going to sell back the remaining Bitcoin. And, and I saw this other thing, Ethereum. I was like, I wonder what that is. And started Googling and, and seeing lots of articles talking about this blockchain revolution. Like, now, look, I'm a, pretty much a Bitcoin maxi now, but at the time I was like, well, this sounds interesting. I should take a look at this. So I bought some Bitcoin, bought some Ethereum and bought maybe 20 different coins within three months. And and then what happened was the Bitcoin was going up. Uh, all that, Well, it was all going up and I was making some money. So I bought a car, I bought a Mercedes and then it would connect to my phone. It was the first car I ever had that connected to my phone. And so I was telling my parents, oh, you should listen to podcasts. So I did a Google search, top 10 podcasts. And, and the top one on this website was a podcast by a guy called Rich Roll, who's like this vegan super athlete. So I went out running and I was listening to this. And I thought, well, he's kind of cool. So I Googled him. And then it turned out he was doing a, a retreat in uh, Florence in, uh, um, in Italy. So I phoned up and they said they have one place left. I was like, well, I need to be on this. So I went to that. Hung out with Rich, uh, and he said, if you're ever in L.A., look me up. So I I just booked a flight to L.A. I was like, hi, I'm here. Started hanging out. I said, look, I just I like your life. I like what you get to do. Your your life is interviewing people. I, I want to do it. And he said, well, this is the equipment you need, and this is how you do it, and be prepared to put years of hard work in, and, and I did. But any you could take any of those moments out, and, and I, I wouldn't be sat here having this conversation now. That's fascinating. 
Pascal, it's fair to say that you have a flair for detecting business opportunities and building companies from the ground up. Could you talk to us about maybe the tipping point that made you enter the crypto space and transition from Web 2 to Web 3? And maybe walk us through the vision um, behind your three ventures, so Ledger, Kaiko, and Kamino. Yeah, um, it's a big question. So, uh, you know, I'll try to not bore everyone into uh, every little details. But uh, but first, you know, in advertising, two things didn't work. Uh, there was a lack of transparency that everyone sort of is still bitching about. Like, you know, when you spend $1 as, a, as an advertiser, you don't really know in the... Uh, like who's getting what of that dollar and how much of that dollar is really to pay the advertising versus every middleman uh, that sits in the middle that gets like a certain percentage with sort of kickbacks and everything. So it's, it's quite bad the way it's, uh, the way it's built and it's, you know, utterly sort of fucked. Like, it, you know, until something happened and that something could be, you know, crypto at some point, because then you have, you know, everything that is, you know, decentralized, open, etc. So that was number one. And number two, when you're in advertising, you fight against Google, Facebook, um, and uh, Amazon, and, and, and you lose, you know, long term you lose because they're just bigger properties and the web has become very centralized on, you know, few properties like this, you know, so centralization, basically, although I didn't think of it exactly like that at the time, but when you think of it now, you know, it's really centralization that is uh, sort of detrimental to, to, to everything. And so, I, you know, when I build business, I enjoy building, you know, global businesses uh, and I enjoy building big businesses because I think it's important to actually build big businesses. And so, you know, for many reasons, but including the promotion of values, um, because if you, if you think about what Facebook does, you know, it's just, you know, Facebook values and Zuckerberg's values, you know, sort of broadcasted everywhere on the planet. And, you know, I'm not criticizing the, the values that they have, but let's just say that sometimes, you know, they're their values and not necessarily mine. Uh, and so, uh, You know, and so when you start to take the box, boxes like this, you, you, I thought, okay, well, you know, Bitcoin are, you know, it's a new protocol. So, you know, you got the web, you got Bitcoin. And probably the next, you know, um, $100 billion company or the next, you know, $1 trillion company will, be, will, will come from, from this world. And it's already happening. Uh, and, uh, you know, with Coinbase, FTX sort of leading the way in terms of evaluation. But, you know, you can clearly see that, You know, they're really huge and this business has just started. So, you know, the future is just extremely uh, uh, massive and and you can you can see how, you know, the next computer that Facebook and Google will have will come from, you know, decentralization in a way um, and uh, and Ledger, uh, ten, you know, intend to be a contender there as well. Like, you know, we, we're shooting for 100 billion. That's the first uh, first mark that we want to reach. And then, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, but we really believe that, you know, something is happening that is very profound. Um, and, you know, so, and, yeah, so, so, and so, so that's what attracted me because I'm like, you know, when you, when you start building businesses, you have to tick boxes. And so being global, you know, is one box that you tick and Bitcoin is global. You don't have like a French Bitcoin doesn't exist. Like, you know, you have Bitcoin, Bitcoin is Bitcoin. And one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin, you know, um, and uh, it's global. We have great engineers. It's decentralized, so actually you can you know do it like sort of anywhere on the planet. I don't know. It was just uh, just very good. But at the time, like I, I had no idea. Like first, I'm not a developer myself, so you know, in 2014, I was a little dry. Like I didn't really understand anything. Uh, and, uh, and 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 the company, the first company was called was called Challenger Deep. Challenger Deep is in the Mariana trenches. 
it's the lowest point on the planet. It's vastly unexplored. So I think it was a good project name since I didn't know. And, and Bitcoin was still vastly uh, unexplored. And I decided to do data because from Criteo, you know, Criteo was data around advertising. So I thought data around Bitcoin, you know, there's something there. Um, and Ledger came very quickly. And I was looking for other projects because they're like, oh, man, I don't know anything. So I need to find people who know a little bit more than me and, you know, and, uh, and invest in them and, and join the board, et cetera. And, and it was a good thing because Ledger said, okay, security. I say data, they say security. I'm like, okay, these are two problems that needs to be sort of fixed. It was just after Mongox. Uh, and so I thought, okay, security, governance, all of this, you know, it seems that it seems that it's a problem for, for, for crypto. So let's, let's fix that. And, you know, the security of the endpoint, like security of private keys is a big problem. And actually, with what just happened uh, in terms of the news last week with, with Pegasus, et cetera. I mean, you know, everything that is on your phone, non-custodial wallet is super dangerous because now people can access your phone without even you clicking on anything. Uh, and uh, and so, uh, you know, security is going to be even more important in 2030 than, than what it is today. You know, so in the next 10 years will be the years of security and where everything needs to change. Uh, but anyway, so in terms of going from advertising to crypto this is how i thought about the problem and you know the the and, and also finally uh you know i i thought that what bitcoin stood for in terms of values was amazing you know sort of decentralization freedom um you sort of vote buying bitcoin is like a vote uh in a way uh and uh and I thought this, this was very profound and it would change, you know, what I think uh, is wrong with the internet and the hyper-centralization on, on, on some companies. So I think, you know, it ticked all of my boxes, including the the, the, the one on, you know, the, the, the ethics and, and values, because I think, you know, it's we're just building a better world with these technologies. That's super inspiring. Well, now that we spoke of the past and, and the present, uh, let's have a look at the future. This is the ledger forecast. So Peter, what Bitcoin did started as a small project, um, which has now become an impressive benchmark uh, and thriving business. You have more than uh, 1 million monthly listeners. Um, and I'm curious about your future plans. Uh, I saw your tweet the other day and it seems like you want to cover Bitcoin in developing countries. Could you maybe speak to that and, and how it ties back to what you've been through in El Salvador and, and of course, the, 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 the famous interview? With the president yeah thank you uh so yeah i'm in this fortunate position where the, the show's done really well i um, feel very blessed because uh a show doing very well means you can attract sponsors and when you can expect attract sponsors you can attract uh the money to go and do bigger and better things so what started out as me lumping a case around the world and then sitting in a hotel room editing the show and publishing it on the website is now a full team i have uh, a full-time producer i have full-time sound engineer i have an assistant like i have a full team but that means i've got capacity to do other things you know we do three shows a week but for me i just i'm looking to the next step so there's two things i'm really thinking about with regards to the show firstly is who's the next audience um most people in bitcoin or understand bitcoin or care about bitcoin will find my show but how how do I get to the next level of guests? How do I continue getting more like Weinsteins and Michael Malice's people who maybe are on the fringes of Bitcoin because of interest they have, but aren't Michael Saylor. They aren't Alex Gladstein. So I'm thinking a lot about that. And the most likely steps are potentially, you know, at some point I've talked about changing the name and taking Bitcoin out of the name, which sounds controversial, but it, it what it does is it 
allows you to enter bigger, wider conversations around governance and politics and uh, geopolitics, uh, all the all the kind of topics that I want to get into, which I think are asymmetric to Bitcoin, but maybe you can have a conversation without saying Bitcoin. So that's on my mind. That's a big challenge, and that's a big that's a big risk in some ways. Uh, but the other thing I'm much more interested in right now is film. Uh, traveling the world, you get to see uh, different use cases for Bitcoin. You get to understand Bitcoin in different ways. How someone in London or Paris uses Bitcoin is very different from how somebody in El Zonte and El Salvador uses it. It's very different from how somebody in Santiago, Chile uses it. Their uh, approach to security is different. Their approach to whether they use the base chain versus the lightning network is different. Their level of education is different. Their understanding of money is different. And you trying to explain Bitcoin to somebody down the pub in London is a lot harder than it is to explain to somebody in Argentina because they've been through multiple currency collapses. So what what I've I've really enjoyed the travel and meeting people in different countries countries and understanding their problems. So I am working on the idea of traveling to a range of countries to make films. I want to go to uh, Nigeria. I want to go to Lebanon, which is in a financial crisis at the moment. I want to go to Palestine. I want to go to Israel. I want to go to Lebanon. I want I want to go and show the different use cases of Bitcoin and how other people can benefit from it. And fortunately, because I have great sponsors like Ledger, who uh, write me a nice check every month, I can go and do these things. So that's that's the future plans for me is to start uh, adding film into the mix because we don't really have a lot of high quality film. Film is touched by other companies like Vice sometimes, but we don't have a lot of high quality film in Bitcoin. And for me, that's, I think, something we're missing. So over the next year, expect to see me starting to release more films. That's very interesting. I think it adds an additional layer of emotional storytelling that people need to be able to have empathy yeah. and, and understand how Bitcoin is evolving in, in third yeah, world I, countries. I agree. Pascal, Ledger also started small and you were right there at the beginning. You recently took the company to unicorn status. And how do you envision the future of Ledger? And, and we're, we're, we're talking about mass adoption here. So how do you envision also the role of Ledger in, in crypto mass adoption around the world? <clears throat> um, you know, there are many possible futures, you know, and, 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 and many things will happen. But in general, what will happen is the value as we know it today, uh, or what has value for us is going to go from whatever technology rail that it sits on today onto, you know, uh, a blockchain type of rail. Uh, using public protocols. And so, you know, a few trillions of valuation today when you take all coins together versus what's going to be in terms of, you know, real estate, energy, you know, many things going onto a blockchain, you know, we're going to talk about sort of trillions of value. And that's, that's already going to push the needle quite far in terms of like the need for security and sort of what it means in terms of uh, security and usability. Um, and and because there will be so much value also, you know, uh, every use case is going to be pushed. I mean, you know, NFT is just a way of transferring, you know, value that usually was on a, a different technical rail onto, you know, a blockchain. Uh, and uh, and then NFTs are sort of, the possibilities are sort of endless. Uh, it doesn't mean that everything is is very interesting, but, you know, it means that, uh, you know, what's happening with SoRare in France is a good glimpse uh, to the future. You know, the play to earn space is is definitely sort of one space to watch and could be, you know, in itself, trillions of, of dollars of, uh, of value. But, uh, <clears throat> and, and 
But but for us, what it means is that you know, like if you think about like Web two, so exchanging information, Web three, exchanging value. In the end, you know, Web two is sort of stuck because as soon as you try to do a payment with Web two, this is where you need to put out your 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 credit card or your debit card. You you know you enter this online, etc. The experience is is very broken. Um, some companies actually. Uh, one company uh, is doing both, uh, which started with Bitcoin. They just, uh, I don't know, raised or announced like a $4 billion valuation, uh, you know, trying to fix that sort of Web2 payment experience that is somewhat broken. Stripe is doing, you know, great as well. But <clears throat> imagine that tomorrow when you go on Nike.com and you'll do that from your ledger device, suddenly your Nike will perfectly be synchronized with your payment methods as in your private keys and also be perfectly synchronized with your decentralized identity. And then you will decide to share whatever you need from your decentralized identity. Like you don't need to share everything, but just maybe, you know, a postal, postal address to be, um, so, so, so they can send to you the, the parcel, but, you know, um, and, and, and what's going to like email is sort of broken today, like not enough security. And so if you want to send very important emails, you can, you can really see, and there are already a bunch of applications that are actually doing this. You can see, you know, why it's going to be important to send an email on the blockchain. And because you, know, you want to be sure that it's from Pascal Gauthier and you want to be sure that it's actually the contract that we agreed on, uh, that's, that's linked to that email. Uh, and so on and so forth. And, you know, and, and we've seen projects this week that are super amazing in terms of sort of bringing the cloud into, into a type of blockchain uh, with every application that you can build on this. I mean, think Google Suite, but uh, in, in blockchain. So if you start thinking like that, then it means that instead of trying to connect Web 2 to Web 3, which is sort of what's happening right now on the phone when you download like a, a Bitcoin or crypto app, we believe that Web3 will be dominance. And so you'll connect from Web3 and then Web2 will be, you know, connected to your Web3, but not the other way around. And so, you know, for this, hardware needs to change. Like, you know, again, last week, you know, Pegasus is, you know, just, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's terrible in a way, but you sort of prove the point of Ledger in the case that I'm trying to make, which is security has to be first and paramount, and then everything else has to sort of flow from this. And phones and computers are not designed to do any kind of security uh, for that matter, but especially not uh, Web3 uh, security. Allow me to jump in here. Uh, maybe some of our listeners don't know actually what happened with Pegasus. So maybe in like in a quick, like a uh, way could you explain what what actually happened yeah i mean quickly i mean pegasus is a is a, is a hack um i mean it's, it's a story but 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 basically what it is it's a hack that where attackers can just send a message on your phone and and that's all that they need to do to access your phone uh, basically and they and they and they exploit uh a breach like a zero day, uh, zero day and zero click. So it's uh, it's an exploit that they can that you can buy on the hackers forums and you know allow that allows you to bypass phone security to enter the phone, and people don't even need to click on anything. Uh, and so the malware is in the phone, and then they can extract whatever they want and you know spy on you, and all these good things and 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 extract uh, uh, private keys. Uh, the the dungeon at Ledger like knows how to do this uh, very very easily. Um, so, so this is, this is, this is what it is. And so therefore, you know, if you think like that, you're like, Oh, so you cannot put anything of value on the phone. And then, so in the future, 
okay, with everything I just said, then Web3 becomes first. And we think that, you know, we are the, you know, one of the only and, you know, uh, and we're pushing hard the vision for the future, but we have a lot of innovation coming in hardware in our roadmap uh, because we think hardware needs to adapt to, to these uh, challenges for, you know, all the things that we need to do with hardware. And software might be eating the world, but software without hardware doesn't exist yet. Got it. And talking about the future, how do you see the, the, the future of the space now that El Salvador has made Bitcoin a legal tender? This is a question to both of you. So, Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Um, hmm. I mean, I almost don't know how to answer it. <laughs> I'm, I'm very focused on El Salvador because it's we're in unique territory now. Um, we've had individuals own Bitcoin. We've had companies buy Bitcoin. We now have billionaires buying Bitcoin. We now have you know, S&P, FTSE 100 companies buying Bitcoin. Like, But then we have a country making it legal tender. And that kind of changes the game because it legitimizes Bitcoin in a way that hasn't been legit legitimized before. We all fear, or we have over the years feared, the over-regulation, the banning. You know, us over in Europe, we seem to have a, uh, seem to have a bureaucrats and regulators who have a much firmer eye on the space than maybe someone like the US. The US seems a little bit more open. Um, to be legitimized by a nation is really interesting, but one country is a is an outlier, two is a movement. Um, so I'm very focused on that project and understanding how that rolls out, understanding or offering my support to to help the country as best possible to to implement bitcoin because there's lots of things that can go wrong with this project um so what's happening in el salvador is actually quite tied to bitcoin itself now i'm i have no fears about bitcoin um but i i have feared how the project rolls out in el salvador but once we go from one country to two countries it becomes super interesting because there's two countries there that become an essentially a bitcoin alliance and then if it's three four very quickly spreads around the world. Um, so I think that's a super inter interesting project. In terms of the future, I, for me in the short term, that's the majority of my focus now. Um, I'm going back there hopefully in a couple of weeks. I'm going to be filming there again soon. Um, so that's most of my focus. But right now, uh, I think it's really tricky because in some ways we've, we, I say we as collectively Bitcoiners, We've achieved a lot of what we set out to do. Yeah, it's not it's not like people talk about mass adoption. Well, we have mass awareness. You don't meet people, anyone anymore who hasn't heard of Bitcoin. You, you get in any Uber, and if you say, oh, I work for a Bitcoin company, they know what you're talking about, which is amazing. It's pretty much everyone knows what Bitcoin is. Not everyone holds it and everyone understands it. Uh, there's a lot of people who are dismissive of it. And I think we're going through this transitionary phase. I had a real, like, uh, had a real moment of self-reflection myself earlier today when i did an interview with michael casey from coindesk where i like we were talking about a number of subjects and i kind of came to this realization that perhaps we need to start thinking about how we talk to people about bitcoin now perhaps to be there needs to be a maturing model um because when somebody is critical of bitcoin on twitter you go into the uh, mentions and they're just getting shouted at all the time and then I'm now starting to feel like that, that this is a negative. We feel like a rabid mob at times, whereby actually what's quite interesting when what Michael Saylor's been doing with the Mining Council, you know, get away from the fact that people think that's some kind of like 
centralized entity to be fearful of, they're actually doing a great job in educating people around mining and how much is renewable. So yeah, a lot of my focus now is is on what are the interesting topics and conversations that that need to be had to to talk to the naysayers about and help them understand it. And also what how's this all going to play out in El Salvador? Because I honestly don't know. And I think it's too early to tell. There's there there is a lot of risks within that project. But I I mostly think it's a positive project because whatever happens, more people will end up owning Bitcoin in El Salvador than they would have you know, without this project. I love that. And um, Pascal, what's your take on that? I don't know yet. We we have to go to El Salvador before I can make a, a smart answer. Um, you know, all these things from afar, it's, it's difficult. I mean, I would say something that, you know, everybody says. We've decided actually to, to do a trip with Ledger uh, in September. Uh, Ian Rogers and, and a few other people, we're going there just to to see it for ourselves and you know and uh, uh you know we i understand that we live in the covid world where you know we we do everything visio and, uh, and and podcasts and so on and so forth but to the point that peter is making you know traveling to a place and you know being there and see what people do and what they don't and you know how, what's happening really in the country you know it's an experience that we have to go through before we can be strategic about it or understand what strategically it means for you know bitcoin the world El salvador itself etc cetera, etc cetera. so um so yeah that 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 uh that trip is planned and you know we sort of looking forward to it uh i don't know when we're going to publish this podcast but if anyone listens that that has like good recommendation on you know who to meet in salvador and and what to do there that's uh that would be greatly appreciated uh it's pascal at ledger.fr uh, it's easy to to send me an email, uh, and 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 I know Peter is going to help us as well because he already knows uh, some of what's going on uh, right now over there, and so we're going to take his advice on 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 what to do. And we're already building some partnership because in the end, it's a uh, you know it's infrastructure will be needed, and we have you know some of the security infrastructure that a country like El Salvador needs or the people need it. Um, so we're going to try to. You know, see what's what, and 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 Ledger will try to help. I'm going to try and be there at the same time as well. Uh, I've been chatting to Ian, trying to make sure we can like coordinate. But I'm going to try and be there at the same time for at least a couple of days. Yeah, cool. You told me, yeah, that'd be cool. Definitely looking forward to covering that. So it's time for our last segment of the show. This is a tip for a crypto first grader. So in this segment, we usually ask our guests to choose their ultimate tip or moral story to share. But this time I'll cheat a little bit uh, and choose them myself. Um, I'm, I'm pretty eager to learn about a couple of anecdotes. So first, let me let me start with Peter. Um, Peter, there's a famous story about you making and losing a million dollars. How did that happen? <laughs> and what did you learn from it? Uh, yeah, so I traded $32,000. When I first got back in that story, I told you back in 2017, I, it's essentially around £25,000. I put in $32,000 and I traded it up to over $1.2 And then I managed to lose nearly all of it within a year. Uh, what did that teach me? It taught me a few things. Uh, it taught me that I'm not a trader. That's for one. That's just not within my uh, skill set. Uh, it taught me about preserving money and being careful. Um, and it taught me about not being too greedy. Were you using leverage? No, I wasn't using leverage, but I wasn't, I didn't, 
I got lucky. I hit a ball run at the right time with the right amount of money, and I didn't know what the end of a ball run looked like because everything went up forever for me, and then when it came down, it would always go back up, but this time it didn't. But I also tried to get into mining, and then I was going to be a consultant, and I just got ahead of myself. Um, so, But I, I don't have any regrets because every step led me to where I am now, so I'm, I'm very happy. Uh, but it just made me realize that, you know, you learn a lot about money. We talked about Argentina earlier, of their recent history of financial collapses. But I have had my own financial collapses twice now, uh, and I was never going to let it happen to me again. I didn't want to establish myself a firm base. So I just became much better at managing money personally and managing personal risk. And that's risk in terms of uh, what I'm willing to have invested the distribution of my investments, what money I hold in cash, what I hold in Bitcoin, um, and, and and where my focus is with work. And and I ultimately became very focused. I focused on the podcast and uh, uh, ensured that that became a profitable enterprise and and then that I would save and store money. And it's, it's a very simple story is just not to be too greedy. Your, your key takeaways here is not to be greedy. And yeah, it's a bit of a cliche to say, find a job you like, but in the end, uh, one of the most important things is find a job you're good at and work hard. I've always found you you cannot beat hard work in life. Um, I know I I can outwork almost anyone, and you know whether it was when I was working in advertising or you know now with the podcast, I've always done well because I've worked hard. I've just put the hours in, you know, year after year of missing nights out, working weekends, and and that's always I've always found that hard work put you ahead of other other people uh and but i also learned during that journey is that preservation of capital is very important okay that's interesting there's a model that i really like it's hard work puts you where good luck can find you uh, exactly that's yeah. this yeah because a lot of people say oh you're so lucky i was like well I, i've worked really hard to be this lucky yeah. you, need, you need to buy your ticket so pascal yeah. there's an intriguing artwork in your office uh, showing bitcoiners killing a, a bear whale um, and I heard that there's a quite a famous story behind it. So what's it all about? Yeah, so like I told you, I've got no idea why this artwork <laughs> is in my office. Uh, but uh, so actually, I've got no story. Um, but, um, but, but you know, the story of this, the, I've got no personal story linked to this artwork. But the story of the artwork in the, in the office, you know, it's the early days at, uh, at Ledger. And it's sort of the reason why I got involved in, in Bitcoin. Because what I didn't say earlier, what I should have said was, I got involved because of the people, because in 2014, you know, the way that I looked at it was that everyone that I was meeting in crypto were either crazy or genius or both. And so there were very different people from uh, from the advertising industry or, you know, any other industry that I've worked in before. And I thought, OK, you know, it really looked like the party was happening in, you know, with, with Bitcoin and crypto. Like, you know, the party was dead on the other side and suddenly it was, there was a new party with, with amazing people. Um, and so, uh, and, and very quickly, you know, it was clear that Bitcoin was not just like, it's not just technology, it's not just like, you know, value and payment and, and all of this. It's also a culture. Uh, and, uh, it's very cultural, and and that's why you know very quickly a lot of people you know got got involved with you know Bitcoin and art, and you know started to to do these paintings, uh, and and very quickly we started to have it in the in the office at Ledger and sort of sort of everywhere because again Bitcoin is uh, I think is so fundamental, but Bitcoin and, and and crypto and you know and blockchains in general it's it's culture. I mean you know we had we just had like ETHCC in Paris. 
you know, you know, there is a strong community and culture around Ethereum, which is not exactly the same than the one the one around Bitcoin. It's two 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 two, two different flavors, I would say, uh, of one you know sort of global libertarian culture around you know decentralization. But uh, so the cultural aspects um, and uh, and so I think the art is part of that. Uh, I think this is you know art with nft and, and all these things and you know it's very powerful those, those trends are very powerful and we're always uh you know sort of together with the with the bitcoin um dogma technology ideology if you like um, i'm afraid we're gonna have to wrap this up peter pascal thank you so much for doing this um i appreciate it and, and i hope you can do this again yeah i'd love to speak soon merci 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 that's it. I hope you enjoyed this inspiring conversation as much as I did. But hey, fasten your seatbelts because there's more to come. On the Ledger is all about contributing to crypto culture and expanding its borders. If you want more, go check the Ledger Academy, Ward School of Block, and feel free to subscribe to this podcast if that's what you're into. This is about to get real. Brought to you by Ledger, directed and edited by Theo Wiesman. This was On the Ledger from Paris. Till next time, take care. Au revoir. This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, tax advice or more generally any type of advice. Ledger will not be responsible for the consequences of reliance upon any opinion or statement contained in this podcast or any omission. Crypto assets are volatile, you should be fully aware of the level of risk involved before engaging in any crypto-related activities and you should consult your own advisors as to those matters. References to any securities or digital assets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute an investment recommendation or offer to provide investment advisory services. Please note that any loss of data, crypto assets or profit is your sole responsibility.